Welcome to Pastoring Out Loud, a podcast from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. If you're interested in learning more, visit our website at southcities.church. Well, we have Ethan, we have Bruce again, hey, and myself. Hi, guys. Guten Tag. <laughs> We are holding down the fort around here this summer when many people are coming and going. So I don't have a random question. You have a random question? Ooh. No. Right. We didn't talk about that. Uh, quick off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ethan, are you a pessimist or an optimist? <laughs> Ooh. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> we were... Uh, talking about this a little bit earlier. Um, I ride the line between pessimist and realist. So it's a, it's a journey to see the bright side of things. Okay. The glass is mostly half empty okay. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm uh, yeah. left to my own brain. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? But in God's grace, he's given you a wife that perfectly complements that. That's right. That's, That's right. I tend to be pretty realistic. I probably, I would say more realistic than pessimistic, I'm, um, though I can fall over into that category at times. But yeah, probably the nature of my profession as an airline pilot just makes me assess situations the way they really are and mm. figure out what you got to do in that situation. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I'm in optimistic realist. <laughs> I'm a little bit more on yeah. that side of the spectrum, like the glass half full person, but I th- I don't know if it's from counseling experience. I'm a little bit more of a realist than I <laughs> used to be. I that. hope that doesn't mean I'm becoming more cynical. I hope Nothing not. Wrong with that. But um, interesting. Well, we all have our tendencies. <laughs> um, well, We wanted to, after the first sermon in this sermon series on sanctification and Bruce's first sermon that we just recapped, uh, just to talk a little bit more about how people actually change, like how does this happen? What does it mean to behold um, any other practical things we want to say about it? I think um, because it's such a big topic, it's hard to encompass it in one podcast or one sermon. So we thought we would just talk a little bit more about it. So. Well, you could have three more podcasts after this, right? Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what I actually have as a question, but I. (laughs) Well, I think you were asking in the break between these two segments. Yeah. um, You know, from a practical standpoint, how does change happen. Yeah. Right. How does change happen? What and specifically, you know, what's the role of repentance and how does God bring that about? And so that's kinda mm-hmm. it's kind of what we were discussing. Yep. In the I mean I was before we yeah. started recording. I was thinking as I was listening to you recap your sermon about beholding, which we won't go into all that again. You can listen to that podcast. Um, how does beholding actually change us? Like, how does it? Um, I was thinking about that in relation to some other things I've read. And I think about it in terms of paying attention. So 
what you pay attention to, you know, literally in your brain, um, that's what your brain is doing. You know, it's like the networks are firing in that direction. And so that is what is easier than for your brain to pay attention to in the future to think about. And so I am, I don't know all the (laughs) biological components of how God made us in amazing ways with our brains. But, um, I think I was thinking about as you were preaching and then as we talked about in the other podcast, what we pay attention to is very shaping for us. And you mentioned that in your sermon a bit too, about like, what are you reading? What are you looking at on your phone or your iPad? And, um, what do you, what is your intake of news and things? And like, how is that changing you? Um, because it's something that we're paying attention to. That's what our brains are focusing on. That's what we become like. And I think there was that Psalm that was like the verse about yeah. the yeah. idols and those who make them become like them. Um, so the more that we pay attention to Jesus in his word and um, engage with him in prayer, we're going to become more like him. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, and I I think there's so many things trying to draw our attention in the world every day, every moment of every day. And when I mention um, in the sermon, uh, three enemies of our souls arrayed against us, the world, the flesh, and the devil, all three of those are trying to get our attention off of God and his glory and his creation, beautiful creation that he's made. And, and even, you know, that the devil will use suffering. And even in our break between the two segments, we talked a little bit about suffering. How is God's glory revealed in suffering? That's probably the hardest place for us to see God's glory is when suffering touches our lives in some way, shape or form. And yet God will be glorified even in that. Eventually, and uh, we don't see all that he's doing. And that's where learning to trust in him comes in. I think just trusting that this is ultimately for his glory and our good. Mm-hmm. Um, or to put it in the words of Genesis 50, what Satan means for evil, God means for good. Now, those are broad and general categories. And when we get into specifics, it gets a lot harder. <laughs> But we have to begin, I think, we, we can't become what we aren't looking at. Mm-hmm. So if we're looking at news feeds and social media and staring at our computer screens or the TV screen or um, reading, intaking things that don't draw our attention to God, we ought not be surprised when the world's attitudes and fleshly attitudes seem to be impossible to overcome in our lives. Mm -hmm. So if you want to talk about practical change, one practical thing we could maybe do is just spend less screen time, less time (laughs) reading stuff that isn't edifying to us and paying attention to stuff that isn't edifying. Yep, definitely. So as we were talking about beholding the glory of the Lord and in the different ways, so how can we break down the change process if we can? <laughs> so we see that we're, we've be, beheld, is that the right word? We've beheld mm-hmm. his glory. Um, then what happens? I'm thinking, you know, especially I don't have control over the world or the devil, but I do, 
I can have a part in my fight against the sin in my heart. So I'm thinking, I behold, be, I've beheld the Lord's glory. Um, then maybe I'm experiencing some kind of conviction for sin in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, you know, in God's grace, he doesn't convict us of every sin all at once, you know? Um, but at some point we should be experiencing his conviction um, in some areas as a fruit of being a Christian, I think that we recognize we're not lining up with, you know, who Jesus is and how he is. Um, So then we experience conviction and then hopefully that we are able to identify like, here's what the sin is. um, And then we confess it to the Lord. I'm just trying to walk through it, like add Mm -hmm. in if there's something that I'm missing Mm -hmm. as I'm playing this out, you know, then I confess it to the Lord, Lord, forgive me for this sin. And if it in any way impacted other people close to me or it was against others as well, I should go to them and confess to them. Um, And then if there's anything else that involves, you know, that particular sin struggle that I need to turn from, you know, in my actions um, and do differently walking forward. I think that's how I've thought about like the personal process of change, but there's so many factors that even go into that and that the Lord uses. Would you add anything or say anything else? I could say a lot. (laughs) I'll just, all I'll say is I I think, I think it, I'm glad we began with this, that sermon series on sanctification with this for second Corinthians passage, because Mm -hmm. it talks about beholding. I think until you see the glory of the Lord, uh, that's one of the primary ways the Lord convicts of sin. When you see God in his holiness and you want that, you delight in that, suddenly sin becomes this puny little thing by comparison and you no longer want that. And so it kind of, you know, you can... You brought up earlier that verse that the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. Mm-hmm. It's his kindness to reveal his glory so and unveil our hearts so that we see that glory and we say, I want that. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the little puny sinful pleasures we tend to satisfy ourselves with, they look like nothing in comparison, which should drive us to repentance, should drive us to repentance. Uh, but I think until you see, until you compare the pleasures that your sin is offering you and see how much greater the joy that God is offering you, yeah. until you see that comparison, your sin is going to be really powerful in attracting you because sin is pleasurable. And if we didn't, if it wasn't, we wouldn't do it. We wouldn't be tempted to do it. So mm-hmm. um, I think we need, that's that's where I would argue we need to Behold the glory of the Lord, and then sin becomes truly sinful, and we see our need of repentance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say that's that's almost. I would I would almost say that 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 is required almost for true repentance, because without beholding who God is, your your repentance may be for repentance' sake, or. Or, or like 
what's what's behind what's the driving force behind the repentance is it true conviction well where does that conviction come from mm-hmm. exactly what you said you you need that disparity between god's glory and your sin um and an understanding of what you've actually been saved from um and i think that's what drives true repentance um because without that, it just seems hollow or like uh, a routine that that you might just be in the habit of doing. Like, oh, I'm, you know, forgive me for my sin. Well, that, that's a, you know, fine to say, but like, what what do you what's behind it? Mm-hmm. Like worldly sorrow and godly grief that produces repentance, which you also had a sermon about not that long ago, Bruce, which is helpful <laughs> on repentance. We should just go back and listen to that. But um, yeah, I read this morning too, Psalm 16, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. So just experiencing that joy in him and his glory and his presence is going to you know, make our hearts not want to settle for the lesser things. So I mm-hmm. agree that that's that's what really has to happen first to be the motivator. Yeah. yeah. And, and also I would say that there's um, like how, how, uh, how, well, your original question is uh, like uh, about change, personal change. Yeah. I think there's, there's definitely a uh, mystery to part of it as well. Um, a spiritual mystery component. You know, when you really try and get down to it, um, it's not something that you can calculate per se, Mm -hmm. um, but it's a work of the Holy Spirit in your heart as he refines you. Sorry, Bruce, you're going to go. No, um, I I agree wholeheartedly. Um, And that's, that's the work of the Holy Spirit within us that, is God's part in the sanctification process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to go back, Stacy, to something you mentioned a, mo- a moment ago. Um, I think you said something like the, the world and the devil, we don't have any control over those oh, things, sure. right? Uh-huh. Um, and the flesh is within us, so maybe we have an element of control over that. And I would say, yes, we, we don't have control over the world if, if we did. I think if, if I had control, any control over the world's philosophies and mm-hmm. so forth, the world would be, be a lot different than it is right now. <laughs> but I'm not God. Um, and I certainly don't have any control over the devil and what he does. But we do have control over our responses mm-hmm. to those. Yep. Sure. And I think that's... That's part of the sanctification process too, is learning to respond in godly ways to the uh, either the philosophies of the world or the attacks of the devil or our own internal fleshly temptations. Mm-hmm. So we, we may not control what those enemies do, but we do control our responses mm-hmm. to them. Yeah. And we are responsible to God for those responses. As you were saying that, I was thinking about Jesus in the wilderness and, you know, being tempted, literally tempted by Satan. And how did he respond was 
with quoting back to Satan, truth, you know, God's truth. And um, just thinking about how, how can we, you know, we be like that when we encounter lies, you know, that the world or the enemy would send our way, that we would just overflow with like God's truth. Like that, that's what would be, we'd be rooted in that. Um, And there's only one way that happens (laughs) and that is through continuous intake of God's word and meditating on it and studying it and digging Mm -hmm. deep into it. Um, It isn't going to happen by hearing a sermon once a week or reading a couple verses that go along with your little devotional this week. Um, You need to dig and study and memorize and meditate. Mm -hmm. Yep. Which is part of what we're called to do as part of the sanct- uh, as part of the human side of the sanctification process. Yeah, renews your mind. Yeah, yeah, and I back to what you said, Ethan. Agree that there are a lot of things that go into how people change. So David Paulison has a great little book called "How Does Sanctification Work," and in it he talks about five different factors. Um, and some of them line up really well with what Bruce said in his sermon, but God's truth obviously changes us. Um, God changes us you know, by the Holy Spirit. Um, other people change us. You know, we there's all over the Proverbs, like we become like the people that we spend time with. <laughs> um, so other people can change us, our situations, you know, just the circumstances of life that God's put us in, whether they be good things or hard things, suffering um, also change us and just shape us into who we are. And then um, I think we have somewhere in there a part to play as well. And so um, there's a lot, yeah, a lot to go into it and a lot more that could be said for sure. But that it was helpful to just take a little bit more time kind of parsing this out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to say about change sanctification. No, I would just encourage us to to be looking for God's glory in all of those factors of change that you mentioned, whether it's yep. uh, the c- counsel from other people, whether it's the inward working of the Holy Spirit, whether it's the truth of God in his word, whether it's suffering and trials or various experiences that come into our lives to see the glory of God in that, um, not just take it at the surface level. Mm-hmm. Dig down and see God revealing his glory to you in that and suddenly lights will go on. I think I think lights will go on and and you'll you'll become more like Jesus. Mm. Yeah. And you'll want to become more like Jesus. What would you say to the person who asks you how do I know if I'm sanctified or uh, justified? And and I don't feel this sanctification. It's it's really hard for me to behold God's glory. Um, it's not it's not something that comes naturally, or maybe I don't see it at all. At all, I'm mm-hmm. I'm stuck in a hole of pessimism. You know, everything just looks terrible because of circumstance, because of X Y Z. It is, it is a fight. And I mentioned in the sermon that chapter in John Piper's book, mm-hmm. 
when I don't desire God. And the title of the chapter is the fight for joy is a fight to see, mm-hmm. or we could say a fight to behold. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that that's where fighting the fight of faith comes in. Yeah, there are going to be times when the darkness is thick and you're not seeing very much light. And, you know, I again, if I had an 80-minute sermon, I could have spent more time on that, but... Um, it, it is a fight of faith. The Bible talks about that. I think Nathan in his sermon, he'll talk about running the race from Hebrews 12 and mm-hmm. in a couple of weeks. And, um, and also in that passage, the discipline of the Lord. So there, there can be times when the darkness is thick and we don't understand why God doesn't seem to be taking it away. And those are the times when we just have to learn to trust the unexplained, can I, can I put it that way? Trust the things that God allows in our lives that are unexplained. And um, the way Job had to learn to trust mm-hmm. um, in the midst of darkness that he didn't understand. He didn't understand any of it, didn't make, make any sense to him. But what happened toward the end of the book of Job? God reveals himself, right? And Job sees the glory of the Lord. And when he does, he says, he puts his hand over his mouth and says, you're right. Basically, he says, you're right, God, I'm wrong. I don't need to see every reason why you do what you do. That's the only answer he gets Mm -hmm. (laughs) at the end of the book of Job. So Mm -hmm. sometimes that's all we get. The darkness is hard and deep, but there's glory even in that even in the suffering, even in the trial. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, um, I've, I mean, all the time we need to go back to the gospel, but especially in those times where it's like just God's glory maybe can feel kind of intangible um, is to go back to, I'm just thinking of Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that he sent Jesus to die in our place, like to pay for our sins and just to meditate on that, um, that he would do that for us, that he would love us enough to do that Mm -hmm. and to take on our sin, um, you know, and then rise from the dead victorious, um, that we can participate in that because that's what he has done for us. So for me, I think in times where it feels like, you know, what is this like, you know, God's big and sovereign and, um, you know, transcendent. Um, and that can be hard to kind of connect with maybe sometimes is coming back to the gospel. Like this is how he has, you know, this is the, can I say like the most amazing display of his glory is in the gospel. Um, in what Jesus did there. Um, that's what I was just thinking, like spending time meditating on that and praying that the Holy Spirit would do its work through that. Mm-hmm. And I, I would add one, because that's a really great question you raised. Yeah. Um, and one that I think a lot of people experience on a practical level um, more than we would like. <laughs> um, but in the end, um, as, as I said, so you kind of combined in your question 
the definitive aspect of sanctification and the progressive aspect. Yeah. And we yep. can be in dark places where it seems like we're not making much progress in the mm-hmm. progressive aspect. Right. That's where you have to trust that what God has done for us in Christ is true, whether we feel it or not. Yep. Whether it's dark or light, whether there's storms raging or the sea is calm in our lives at this point in time, um, that's where we have to trust in what God has done for us and why... In the sermon, I made the case that we have to fight for this sight mm-hmm. from the standpoint of already having been justified, sanctified, yeah. regenerated, washed, cleansed, forgiven. Yeah. All those things are true of us in Christ because of what God has done for us, not because of anything we've done. So yeah. that's the gospel thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We have to fight from that position to see the glory. Even as believers. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The gospel is is so important even for believers. And and there are numerous promises all throughout scripture that uh, that are helpful in troubling dark seasons of life as well. Um, but they're all but they're all grounded there. They're all grounded there. Yeah. Cool. Good question. Anything else popping, popping into your heads? No, I don't think so. All righty. <laughs> All right now more to come next week. Yes. Thanks you too. Thank you. <laughs>